You're listening to Sex Gets Real with Dawn Sarah. That's me. This is a place where we explore sex, bodies, and relationships from a place of curiosity and inclusion, tying the personal to the cultural, where you're just as likely to hear tender questions about shame and the complexities of love as you are to hear experts challenging the dominant stories around pleasure, body politics, and liberation. This is about the big and the small, about sex and everything surrounding it we don't usually name. The funny, the awkward, the imperfect happen here in service to joy, connection, healing, and creating healthier relationships with ourselves and each other. So welcome to Sex Gets Real. Don't forget to hit subscribe. Hey, you. Welcome to Sex Gets Real. It is a beautiful, sunny August day here in Vancouver, Canada, and I'm excited to get to share a little time with you as always. I wanted to let you know this coming Friday, August 30th, 2019, you can hear me on the Secret Feminist Agenda podcast with Hannah McGregor. We talk so much about you yes, you, for so much of the conversation, what it's been like holding your stories and your questions all of these years, setting boundaries, being with people in these really complicated and difficult questions. So if you haven't checked out the Secret Feminist Agenda podcast yet, please do. Hannah is having some amazing conversations over there that are ultra feminist. And so I know a lot of you will be really excited about that. And I can't wait for everyone to hear it. It was a really fun conversation to have with Hannah. I also, yesterday, I just wrapped up the final call for the July cohort of Power and Pleasure last night. And I am so overwhelmed with the feels. What an absolutely special experience. I feel like this is my life's work. Like I was meant to be doing this and I feel like it's such a gift. So many people are already sending me feedback and I wanted to share a few with you because I like celebrating and I want to be in the celebration with all of you because you've been with me for so long. So someone named Lindsay said, enrolling in this course allowed me to set aside time to deeply explore pleasure within myself in ways I never expected. I loved that Dawn eases you into things in an unintimidating way that feels completely welcoming and helped give me the permission to explore things I wouldn't have otherwise. I've learned so, so much about myself and allowed more room for pleasure in so many aspects of my life. I also received, this has been such a gift to myself in ways I could not have expected. I felt the pull to join even though I was nervous about it. And someone else wrote, my biggest takeaway is that I've been gaslighting myself about certain things, and it's just as bad to do it to myself as it is to have it done to me by a lover. Also, I learned permission to name what I want and to form boundaries around it, knowing that I won't go crazy and overindulge if I say yes to things. And the grounding exercises are something I will take with me and cherish forever, Thank you for all of your time in this beautiful course. It's been amazing. It was really extraordinary to see these people in the call last night and how radically different their questions, their responses, their ways of being were from that very first call that we had five and a half weeks ago. So if you want to join me, I'm already gearing up for October's cohort. Maybe you want to join me. Five weeks of exploring pleasure. There's already a couple of brave souls enrolled. So if you want to check that out, donsarah.com slash pleasure course. I am really proud of this work and it fuels me and feeds me and teaches me. And I would love to have you be a part of it. Okay. So yesterday on Facebook, I saw a photo going around and it was a screen capture from Reddit, I think. And the title was men talking about the women they love. So I wanted to share a few of the posts and to say, I want to hear from you. 
Now this is about men talking about the women in their lives, but what I would love is regardless of your gender, regardless of whether it's an intimate sexual partner or a spouse or a friend or a neighbor or someone else that you love, what are the little meaningful things that this person in your life does that make you feel loved and special and grateful? Write in and tell me info at sexgetsreal.com. So here is a love story best starter. Okay. So one of the people on the thread named Grizz Firefighter One wrote, my wife never finished a cup of coffee or a cup of tea if I didn't make it for her. I asked about it once and her response was, it just tastes better when you make it. It always makes me feel better seeing an empty cup. The Dapper Minion wrote, I often come to bed after her and she's a pretty heavy sleeper. Without fail, I'll get settled into bed and she does what I call the reach, where she'll start swatting around to find me. Once any body part is located, she attempts to crawl into my skin all while asleep. Most nights, I just lay there and chuckle. It's the little things. And then uh, Delt Hager wrote, I suffer from scale psoriasis pretty bad on my neck and shoulders. After a shower, she sits me down on the bed and works my medicated lotion into it. I never asked her to. I have this medicated lotion wand that's basically a sponge on a stick that I used to use when we first got together. After the first time she saw me struggle with a mirror to get all the spots, she just started doing it for me. I'm really super self-conscious about my psoriasis. And she's just like, it's part of you, a part of us. So let me do this for you. She started doing this for me when we were first dating seven years ago. We've been married for almost two years now. And every day, without me asking, she does this. And it really speaks of her devotion to me and to us. I think one of the things that I really loved about so many of the things that people shared in this particular thread I saw on Facebook, and what I shared was just a few of them, is how simple a lot of the things are. This one person was writing about how whenever he and his wife go shopping like to the grocery store or somewhere else, if they get separated in the store, as soon as they relocate each other, she breaks into this huge smile at the side of his face. And that, that's been happening for 28 years. And another person said that his partner will scoot her chair closer to his in restaurants so that they can lean on, the, on each other while they're eating. And I just really, really loved the simplicity. You know, in the work that I do with people in my coaching practice, it almost always comes back to these small moments. These small moments of appreciation and reverence, they add up to so much more than I think we realize, especially because there's kind of this fetishization of like big sweeping grand gestures of, you know, that fancy holiday present or that big uh, getaway. But it's so easy for us to become so distracted by our jobs and our phones and our Netflix shows and social media. And it's those little tiny, small rituals and moments that really add up to some pretty incredible feelings of love and support. So I wanted to take this opportunity to share two of mine so that I could kind of share with you a little bit about what I would love to receive from you in whatever form it is. So my first is about Alex. And one of the things that makes me feel just really seen and loved is when I'm working really long hours, which is somewhat often, Alex will throughout the day bring me glasses of cold water, set snacks beside me, cook dinner, do the dishes. He just helps to remember to nourish myself, tends to the house so that I can be doing things like recording the podcast and facilitating group calls and supporting people around their trauma. And I never ask, he just does. And I feel really, really, really grateful for those small but important moments. The other one is my friend Kim. I feel so loved by Kim because she will send me all these little articles and events that she thinks that I'll like. She invites me to things all the time, even though I have to say no a lot. 
And anytime I've ever asked her a question, she comes back a day or two later with heaps of ideas and research, or she'll say, oh, you asked about this thing. So I called five people who I know all know about the thing. And here's what they all said. Alex and I were even having a problem with our landlord a couple months ago, and she went out of her way to go to an advocacy group and like pick up this packet that she mailed to us. We never asked for that, but it just arrived and it was, you know, all about tenants rights. And so I really appreciate those little acts of thoughtfulness and love. Kate Sloan of the Dildorks podcast actually started a thread on Twitter uh, asking if you're in a long-term relationship and or marriage, can you tell me about if there is one the specific moment you knew you wanted to be with your partner for a long time. And so I really wanted to also share that here. I feel like it's just so feel good and gives us ways to kind of feel into gratitude, people we love and to really reflect fondly. So a couple of the responses, there's so many include Allison Moon. She said, I got sick with the flu during his first visit to me in Los Angeles He sat next to the bed, stroked my hair, and read Song of Myself in such a gentle, calm voice, I knew I wanted him to read to me for the rest of my life. Someone else with a private profile said, honestly, when I took him to meet my friends and afterwards someone said, you're different with him. I haven't seen you calm like that in years. I was just out of my previous abusive relationship and I cried. Radio Binaries, their Twitter handle, said, my girlfriend and I actually realized it together at an Olive Garden. She was visiting over the summer and we were talking about how people should be able to live with their best friends forever. And then we realized we could. That was over three years ago. Casey A. Houlihan said, I had several depressive or panic episodes and he handled them like a pro, responded in nothing but love and support and always pushes me to take a step back when I need to. And the last one I'll read from the thread, but it's definitely worth checking out, is Stella Percam wrote, we were at the mall and my shoulder started hurting. So he took my big red purse and wore it around the mall for the rest of the day. He didn't give a fuck about the funny looks people gave him. He just wanted me to be comfortable. I knew I wanted to grow old with him after that. So what are the ways that people in your life show you devotion and love? What little moment made you know you wanted this person in your life for a long time, whether it was in a romantic way, a sexual way, a platonic way, a creative way? I would love to hear about all sorts of love, not just men naming things women did for them, but all genders, all relationship types, even really cool coworker experiences and neighbors. So let's get a love train going. Write to me with your little story or thought. Info at sexgetsreal.com is my email address, or you can go to sexgetsreal.com and use the contact form. Also, I'm about to transition the Sex Gets Real website and fold it into donsara.com. I've been working on a redesign of donsara.com for two years, and we are almost ready to launch. But a part of that redesign is the podcast is going to get folded into donsara.com. So I will have redirects so that all the links from previous episodes still work. But moving ahead, very soon, you'll be going to donsara.com to use the contact form to write in to me about the podcast. So just a note. Before we get to your emails, I also want to take a moment to discuss some allegations that have been brought to my attention about Erica Lust. A non-binary performer named Rooster came forward, I want to say last year, about being sexually assaulted by a guest director among some other things that happened on the set of a film that was produced by Erica Lust Films. I definitely think it's important to read Rooster's accounts, and Rooster has a post that I'm going to link to. If you go to sexgetsreal.com slash EP275 for episode 275, I'm going to have several resources there, but one of them includes a post that Rooster put together that's got screenshots 
email exchanges, uh, articles, posts that all relate to this experience that Rooster had with the team at Erica Lust Films and the particular guest director, Olympia DeGee. Now, Erica Lust released a statement a few days ago, and unfortunately, that statement leaves a lot to be desired. And while I understand the reasons that Erica released the statement and worded it the way that it was worded, it definitely demonstrates a lack of understanding of things like power dynamics and trauma. I've read a few pieces about what happened. I want to name, I am not an expert in this. I am not who needs to be centered. I'm not the person to come to with questions. But I do want to amplify Rooster's voice. And I also really feel like it's important to share a couple of other things around this just to help all of us do better. So one, in the past, I have personally recommended Erica Lust's work both through Erica Lust Films and Ex-Confessions as a source of ethical feminist porn. And at this time, I just want to say I'm withdrawing that recommendation, at least until Erica and her team can do better at really centering Rooster and the other performers, honestly, who have come forward about some harm they've experienced on Erica Lust Films sets especially the multiple complaints that have been issued around Olympia DG in particular. I just want to also say this is not a call to cancel anyone, shame anyone, attack anyone. I fundamentally believe that when we call for accountability, it has to be done with love and intention and integrity. Two, it's really tempting to point the finger at porn and at sex work when allegations of abuse on a porn set come up or in a strip club or any of the other things. This happened, in fact, in my Explore More group. People saying, ugh, it's porn. I do believe that extra care has to be taken by people doing any kind of work around sex and sexuality. If that's you, I hope you take this very seriously. It includes not only porn, but also sex education. There is such a huge danger in people engaging as leaders and educators and influencers who don't have a really nuanced understanding of power and privilege and trauma and who don't know how to engage in accountability processes. I think the unfolding stories around Franklin Vaux and Charlie Glickman are really evidence of this. But when we look at the working conditions of people everywhere and the opportunity of expo exploitation, we have to remember that under capitalism, exploitation is the norm, not the exception. So whether it's abuse on a porn set, in a strip club, or in a fast food restaurant, exploitation is the name of the game. Three, when, not if, when harm occurs, because we're human beings and harm is inevitable, it's our collective responsibility to center the needs of those who have been harmed and to amplify their voice. This does not mean, and you heard me say this over and over and over again when we were talking about all the Franklin Vaux stuff, this does not mean vilifying the people who have caused harm nor is it painting them as monsters. We need to do the work to overturn the perfect survivor narrative, which requires us to also paint people as monsters, and to hold that people who have been harmed can harm others, and that people who have caused harm can be harmed and maybe have been harmed and can be victims as well. It's messy. And it can be so tempting to want to listen to the people who have more power and influence, often because we're more familiar with them, we enjoy their work, we admire them, but it's our responsibility, whether it's someone we know, like, and trust, or someone we love, to listen. 
and to really center those who are speaking up about harm, especially when there's lots of risk associated with that speaking up. In this specific dialogue, we have to center Rooster's story by believing them and by supporting the fact that they were harmed and that there is a really significant chance of loss in their lives. For we can't vilify or shame performers who continue to work with Erica Lust or anyone else who's caused harm. Sex workers are highly marginalized in this world, and because of the rampant sex negativity and the stigma that we collectively have against sex work, an unwillingness to hire former sex workers into corporate jobs and teaching jobs and all kinds of other jobs, performers have to be supported in the decisions they make for themselves on how they make a living. Five, because of Me Too, most of us now understand that many of us survive harm through freezing or appeasing. Fight, flight, freeze, appease. These are all trauma responses. They're survival responses. So that's to say when harm happens, it can take time for us to understand the full extent of it, to find language for it, especially when the potential for us losing a source of income or losing access to safety and belonging is on the line. And that's true for Rooster. When we speak of harm, we have to move away from the need for things to be linear and neat and to fit into a clear-cut definition that's harm or no harm. We all have to be doing the work of getting more comfortable with the uncertain, the messy, the ugly reality of being human, especially inside of deeply broken systems. And the sixth and final thing I want to just say is as we consider the ways we consume anything and the ethics of it from our clothing and our food to our porn, I want to invite all of us to center the voices of those who are doing the work, who are doing the labor, and to trust all of those varied truths. Vex Ashley of A Four-Chambered Heart was quoted in a Jezebel article. Uh, That's part of what I'll be linking to about this situation. And she said, ethical porn is whatever porn fits your personal system of values and ethics, and they are subjective, person to person. There are no generally accepted specifics. There's no naughty or nice list. A company claiming to be an ethical feminist company is not as meaningful to me as performers who say, this company did these things to honor my autonomy, safety, and consent. Which makes me think, like, white folks can't label themselves as allies to people of color. White folks have to do the work of allyship and support. And it's only people of color who can decide if that work demonstrates true allyship. So just like that, it's on us as consumers to take a more active role in really listening to those who are actually doing the work, the performers. And we all have to find ways to reconcile that lots of performers might have a really terrific experience with a particular director or a company, and then one person might have a terrible, abusive experience, and all of it is true. And that might be really uncomfortable and conflicting, but it's true. And it's the folks who are harmed that deserve the support in order to be able to process the harm so that additional harm like gaslighting and erasure doesn't happen. So around Rooster and Erica Lust Films, I encourage each of you to check out the pieces that I've linked to at sexgetsreal.com slash EP275 and to offer Rooster support with a comment, a share, or maybe even sending them money. Okay, so let's move on to your epic, epic emails. The first one is Kate, who wrote in with a subject line of unsolicited nudes with a happy ending. The email says, my boyfriend and I have been dating almost two years, and I feel like we have a very strong foundation without much jealousy and with a lot of communication. 
He has a female coworker who is very sexual and speaks very openly and explicitly about what she wants to do to anyone at a given moment. Once she told my boyfriend she wanted to lay on a bed with her head hanging off and let him fuck her throat until he came. He has no feelings towards her and always has no problem sharing the dirty things she says to him and others. While I always have initial jealousy when hearing these things, I'm never concerned by this or even really bothered. And I know that in the end, she does it to all of her friends, not just my man. So they became friends on Snapchat and started talking every once in a while, very sporadically. Then a few days ago, while he was working and she wasn't, she sent him a nude bath photo with her tits exposed. When he told me about it afterwards, I was very upset and he was worried that I was going to dump them. He's never been in another serious relationship and didn't know how something like that would be worked through. Once I got over the fact that it was kind of rude of her to send nudes to someone in a relationship, I decided that it wasn't a huge deal. We've watched porn together and it's not like he hasn't seen boobs before. She sent another picture that he didn't open, and we decided that I would be the one to look at it. Sure enough, it was another bath photo, this time showing her boobs and her crotch with her hand covering her vagina. I wasn't angry that she sent a second one. Rather than block her or tell her it was inappropriate, I decided when we got home, we should send her a picture of my tits back. My man and I have never done anything with a third person, and this was a bit more kinky than anything we had done before. It was exciting. After the first boob pic that I sent her, my boyfriend and I were very turned on and he started eating me out. While he was doing this, I took a picture of my crotch and his face buried in my mound. You can probably guess why I took this. We decided to send it to his coworker. This whole situation, sharing our sexual encounters with someone outside of our relationship was so hot and kinky to us. We haven't been able to stop thinking about it since. Yesterday, they worked together for the first time since all this happened, and she confessed that after she saw the second photo, she pleasured herself to the thought of me, which is very hot. I thought I'd share this story with you and hear your thoughts on it. I think that since both of us were very turned on by by the experience, that someday I might even try to take it up a notch and suggest to him we could have someone watch us or maybe even join us. We've joked about it before, and I think he'd be on board. I'm so excited to hopefully explore a new side of our relationship. Thank you for letting me share my little story with you, Kate. Ah, wow, Kate. Well, thank you for sharing this with us. I am so glad that it ended in a fun, sexy way. Personally, I definitely think that this woman's behavior and the lack of boundaries show a deep disrespect both to you and to your boyfriend. I think that for people who are listening to this, if this kind of behavior is something that you wouldn't be okay with, that's okay. I think that there's, it has a happy ending and it sounds like, Kate, you're so excited despite some questionable behavior at the beginning that now it's created a situation where you feel really excited and hopeful and turned on and like there's lots of potential down the road. I just want to offer that someone who is going to not even consider the status of someone's relationship, ask about what's acceptable have discussions around what feels okay for everybody and to ask questions about whether or not it's okay to send these types of things is someone who I would be deeply skeptical of doing something else with because the likelihood that you'll be disrespected down the road is pretty high. But if this experience opened the door so that you can potentially do really exciting things with other people, people who are more respectful of boundaries and who want to collaborate with you and your boyfriend in ways that everyone can feel good instead of just assuming and then you two having to deal with the follow-out. I think that that's a really exciting thing. So thank you so much for tuning in and for sharing about your super sexy story. Elizabeth sent a note with a subject line of, am I being shamed for the way I dress? 
Elizabeth writes, hi, Dawn. I love the show. I've been listening for a few months now. I recently started dating a couple. The couple has been married almost 10 years and they have two wonderful children. The three of us are spending a lot of time together and the sex is great. So far, everything is going well. But the other day I went over to hang out. I saw the kids and the couple. I was wearing high-waisted jeans and a cropped shirt. This will be important. The next morning, their daughter, who is seven, asked her mom to cut her shirt so it was like mine. I guess this made her mother uncomfortable, so she called me to explain the situation and asked me to stop wearing cropped shirts around them. She told me that her daughter looks up to me and that it was hard to explain to her that she wasn't allowed to wear allowed to wear cropped shirts, but that I was. This request made me uncomfortable, and it felt like the wrong way to handle the situation. I'm not sure if I'm overreacting. I'm also not sure how to talk to her about it. Anyway, thank you for your amazing podcast and any advice. Ah, uh, well, hello, Elizabeth. First off, thank you so much for listening and for writing in. You know, I love getting your emails and I really appreciate you trusting me with this. This, I think, is a great opportunity for you and this woman that you're dating, the kid's mother, to have a conversation and to explore your feelings about all of this. You are allowed to wear whatever you want to wear, it's your body. And she's allowed to parent in ways that feel values aligned and important to her. That said, it sounds like she's uncomfortable having some conversations with her daughter about bodies and values and that that might be where the sticking point is. So if I were you, I'd ask this woman who you're dating and having sex with and building a relationship with if the two of you could sit down and if you could learn more about her request. I mean, with genuine curiosity, I would want to know her feelings about crop tops, what it means when an adult wears one versus what it means for her when a seven-year-old or a 10-year-old or a 14-year-old wears one. I'd want to know the stories that she carries about age-appropriate wear at the house versus out of the house, like at school or around town, because those things might be different. And then I'd see what that information that she offers you tells you about what you'd like to do next. She can't forbid you from wearing crop tops, but she can ask you not to come over to the house when the kids are there. If she feels like it's really out of alignment with her values to have her kids around someone wearing whatever it is, whether it's a crop top or a bikini or a robe, she gets to set that boundary. But I also wonder if it's maybe less about values and more about maybe not wanting to have to fight with the daughter over and over again every time she sees you wearing one. I really think this could be an opportunity for you and this woman that you're seeing to have a co-conversation with the daughter around when crop tops might be more age appropriate. Maybe the mother would be okay with her daughter having a crop top as PJs that she wears around the house, but not to school. There is so much potential here for the two of you adults to collaborate and to really use this as a way to deepen your connection to each other and to the children. But I definitely would want to get really curious about her perspective before deciding whether or not it was shaming or maybe it came from a place of being a really exhausted mom who has two kids who happens to have a seven-year-old that she knows is really stubborn. And every time you wear a crop top, there's going to be some type of fight or argument or conversation that she doesn't want to have to have 10 times. I mean, there's, I think there's a lot to learn in this situation. So how can this be a chance for you to share your feelings while also learning more about her beliefs her values as a parent, her hopes for her kid. And depending on what you learn, it might also give you more information on whether you want to take a bigger role in their lives, perhaps down the road as a co-parent, or maybe depending on what you learn, to keep this as a little bit of a more casual thing. I hope that gives you a jumping off point for starting some conversations and definitely keep me posted. I'm so curious about where that's coming from, what it means, and then what the two of you will decide together. And in the meantime, enjoy your crop tops because it's the end of summer and it's still warm and you can. 
this next email comes from Cassie Bo Bassey, which I love. And Cassie Bo Bassey writes, hi, Dawn. I've long listened to podcasts and like so many other people, I want to say your show and you are something special. I appreciate your earnestness and how much you care. It feels rare these days, which makes me have hope about a lot of things. I know you recently announced on Facebook that you completed your body trust provider certification. So first, congratulations. Second, I have really complicated feelings about my body and about food. I grew up in a household where thinness was prized, diets were normal, and being in a body that was anything but thin was seen either as a tragedy or worse, a personal failure. Now that I've finally started to question things about diet culture, thanks to people like Jess Baker and Christy Harrison, I know I don't want it to be how I was. On and off diets, feeling guilty, feeling like I had to perform being on a diet in order to be accepted by coworkers and family. But I'm also not sure how it is I want to be moving forward. It feels scary. I'm so ashamed of getting naked during sex. I'm scared of my cravings. I don't know what it means, like really means to trust my body. Can you help? What does this body trust provider process mean to you? What does body trust mean? And can learning to trust my body help with the places where I feel so unsure and scared? I don't know where to go now that I've seen where I've been and how hard it's been, you know? I don't know if I'm making sense, but thanks for all you do. And if this makes it on the podcast, thanks for taking some time to read it. With lots of thanks, Cassie Bobassi. Well, first off, thank you for the congratulations, Cassie. It is absolutely true. After nine months of retreats and reading and writing and reading research studies and learning and group calls and supervision calls and a whole bunch of work, Be Nourished certified me just a week or two ago as an official body trust provider. I also want to say thank you for listening to the show and for writing in with this really thoughtful email. I know you are not alone. I know you're not alone. Your questions are so important and they're huge. So uh, today we're just going to kind of scratch the surface and give you some things to kind of think about and then you can choose what you want to explore. The place I want to start, not only with you, Cassie, but with everyone listening, is I really want to hold past you with so much tenderness and care. All of us, All of us in Western culture grow up impacted by diet culture, whether that impact is from our families or our friends, our school programs, our churches, or simply being in a world that has media and pop culture that surround us. Diet culture has absolutely touched all of our lives. Counselor Andrea Pappen, who spoke at Explore More Summit in 2019, likes to say belonging trumps everything. When our parents value thinness, we're indoctrinated into stories that vilify certain bodies and celebrate others. In order to belong, we often find ourselves swept up inside of our parents' stories of shame and embarrassment and fear and body terrorism. I mean, for me, dieting was really normal in my household growing up. Both of my parents were terrified of fatness. My dad was chubby as a kid and made fun of it, and that caused him a lot of pain. So he spent his his entire adulthood running from that pain and wanting to be anything but that chubby kid. And my mom was super thin as a teenager, which gave her lots of social and sexual capital, something that she really looks back on fondly and was really proud of. But her body changed after pregnancy, and it became a full-blown war her against her body. And I saw that. I in no way blame them. I mean, they were both in lots of pain because the world we live in is heinously fat phobic, which has deep, deep roots in white supremacy, capitalism, colonialism, but it did impact me. I absorbed the things they said, the things they did, the things they didn't say, just like all kids do. One of the things I really love about what you said, Cassie, is I know how I don't want to be. 
I think that's a really important place to start. Sometimes we have to start with what we don't want in order to start finding our way towards what we do. And you're right. You know, I mean, no matter what TV channel, social media feed, radio station, magazine you consume, all of it is about selling us on ways of being that align with and support diet culture because it's super profitable. It keeps us super distracted being obsessed with smallness and turning these very fleshy human bodies of ours into robots and machines and things that we replace parts on and sculpt and mold. I love how Christy Harrison talks about diet culture as the life thief. Because when we're so consumed with dieting and upholding the glossy rebrand that we know now is health and wellness, the health and wellness industry, we give up so many things that we could have been doing with our life, like connecting with people we love, playing, campaigning for social change, toppling the patriarchy, and so many other things. But there's also genuinely a lot of safety. And all the planning and the measuring and the restricting and the monitoring, it gives us something that makes us feel like we're doing something that makes us more worthy, that we're doing something that makes us more lovable and more acceptable as a human being. So when we start breaking up with diet mentality, it really can feel like we're floating in space and there's nothing to orient towards. There's no gravity to stabilize us which is why I think it takes a lot of courage to really start rooting down into the truth of who you are and what your body is communicating to you. Because there's a lot of noise that wants you make, wants to make you listen to things outside of yourself. But this process also takes time, which most of us are not very good at <laughs> allowing things to take time. Another thing that's so seductive about diet culture is all the false promises Everything inside of diet culture promises you that if you do this program, eat these foods, avoid these other foods, move in certain ways, wear certain things, you will be promised health and love and sex and happiness and success and even avoiding death. I mean, literally, there's a new book coming out all about diets that's actually absurdly titled How Not to Die. I think one of the other things that's really hard for people is when we start breaking up with diet culture, it means grieving, grieving so much, grieving the violence we did to ourselves and to others, grieving the time and the money we've poured into trying to force our bodies to be different, grieving the certainty we've been promised and force-fed and sold. And it also really means grappling with deeper and more human experiences, things that are really difficult for a lot of us, like uncertainty, changing bodies, aging, and (laughs) even death, right? I mean, we are all going to die, but so many people who are chasing the health and wellness are essentially trying to chase that magical elixir of everlasting life. So for me, to answer your question, Cassie, body trust is this really beautiful, gentle paradigm that Hillary Canavy and Dana Sturdivant from Be Nourished created to offer us something to orient towards when we do feel lost. Dana and Hillary have some beautiful things on their website, so I'll link to that at sexgetsreal.com slash EP275. But one of the things they write on their website is that body trust is a radical revisioning of what it means to occupy and care for your body. It's a pathway to acceptance of the body, an alternative dialogue to the conventional paradigm of food, body image, and weight concerns in our culture. Body trust is paradigm shifting work that invites bravery and fierce body compassion. They go on to say body trust is a healing modality. It's weight inclusive. It's your birthright. It's a homecoming. And they also say body trust is a reclamation of pleasure, of knowing, of wanting, of listening, of your own damn self. 
Body trust work is a process of reclaiming our bodies after they've been harmed by stigma, diet culture, shame, difference, and othering, and then further distanced by our attempts to mitigate that harm by trying to control the size, shape, or appearance of our body. I think for me, so many, so many of the emails I've received over the years, the clients that I've worked with one-on-one, it's revealed to me how disconnected so many of us are from our bodies. You know, I've long heard the same questions repeated over and over again, but how do I know what I want? How do I know what I need? How do I know what my limits are? What enough is? What if someone doesn't like how I look? What if I'm afraid of my body? And all of this relates back to this lack of trust and these really wise bodies of ours that are so full of information and pleasure and power, but we got separated along the way because we're born trusting our bodies. And that got disrupted by diet culture, by gender binaries, by racism, by capitalism, by trauma. And body trust is one of many that offers us a way to really gently start coming home to ourselves so that we can show up in our life and in the world more grounded and true. And I think something really incredible happens when we break up with perfectionism, which is another symptom of neoliberalism and capitalism, when we stop forcing ourselves to push past our limits, when we really truly start listening to our body and trusting what it wants and craves and asks for, we start to find these really deep resources of power and nourishment. I mean, it's not only about coming home to ourselves, but it's about opening to the erotic. Because the erotic is something that's really, really damn difficult to access and to channel when we're cut off from our bodies all the time, when we're dissociated, when we're so busy that we never actually just arrive. So whether it's body trust or something like generative somatics or somatic experiencing or any number of other modalities that invite us to come home to ourselves to find these gentle inroads to the body, one of the biggest parts of this work is not feeling like it's our fault, like we're broken, like we've done something wrong. It's about seeing that we never consented to this and we've done our best to survive to now. But now we don't have to do it alone any longer. And I think that's one of the other things that I really love, not only about body trust, but so much of the work that I'm doing these days is It's not just about self. It's about being in community with others. It's about sharing our stories and being witnessed so that we can start to really experience that process of healing through relationship. I think one of the impacts this work's had on me is finding new depths of self-compassion and curiosity about my body and all the things that it does, even the stuff that pisses me off or disappoints me. I've started feeling in new ways and slowing down and connecting more deeply. And I want all of that for all of us who feel ready for it. I don't believe that there's like any one magical solution for all people. That's just too, you know, utopian and unrealistic. But I do think that more presence, more connection, more compassion, more depth of feeling will lead us collectively towards a world that's a lot less violent than the one we're in now. So that's kind of what it means to me and what it is, Cassie. And if you want to learn more, definitely check out Be Nourished's work at benourished.org. And the other thing I want to offer is just give yourself permission to go slow. It took decades and decades for most of us to get here. And the process of untangling these stories we've been living in is a really slow one. Plus, for everything you unlearn, there's going to be constant barrage of people around you and stories around you trying to force you back into those old systems because it's going to terrify and threaten them. So finding people who can support you and be in this process with you while you do the work is so crucial. 
anyway, I could keep going on, but like I said, we're just going to scratch the surface. So I hope Cassie, that gives you just a little bit of insight into why I chose this work, how it fits in with what I do. You know, the more we can hear our wants and our cravings around food, around touch, around movement, the more we can really feel into those around things like sex and the erotic. And I hope that this offers you all sorts of new yummy places to feel into and discover about yourself so that you don't feel quite so lost. Thank you so much, Cassie, for listening and for tuning in. And for everybody, head to Patreon if you'd like to support the show financially. Anything from $1 a month to $3 a month to $5 a month would be amazing. If you support it $3 a month and above, you get bonus content every single week. And there's a huge backlog at this point. So you can go to patreon.com slash podcast. And I would love to see you over there. I am planning a live call uh, later this year. So patrons, tune in and keep an eye out for that. Otherwise, I will be back next week. And if you could use support around a place where you feel stuck, shoot me a note. Info at sexgetsreal.com and head to sexgetsreal.com slash EP275 for all the resources I mentioned today. Bye. You used to light up like a spark Now you're blue, treading water in the dark A huge thanks to the vocal few, the married duo behind the music featured in this week's intro and outro. Find them at vocalfew.com. Head to patreon.com slash sex gets real to support the show and get awesome weekly bonuses. As you look towards the next week, I wonder, what will you do differently that rewrites an old story, revitalizes a stuck relationship, or helps you to connect more deeply with your pleasure? Don't be ashamed